Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Confirmation bias is a really deep-rooted bias in all of us. We all have this tendency, and it's it's exactly what you described. It's this tendency to have an opinion about something and then to either seek out information that confirms what you already believe and or to screen out or ignore information that is inconsistent with what you believe and or to bend information and interpret it in such a way that it is consistent with what you already believe. When you look at confirmation bias from a business perspective, i.e. I'm in the business, actually what you want is you want to sort of downplay or control or restrict or recognize, maybe these are all good words actually, your confirmation bias, yeah? And I guess that's where, when you start thinking about things like diversity, getting different opinions becomes a much stronger view of life. So if you're in business, you need to recognize that you have confirmation bias and actually that can be a weakness. It makes me think about the blockbusters of this world the circuit cities of this world where the senior team are sitting there with confirmation bias and looking at the world from an old perspective. If you are coming into that organization and taking that organization over, start thinking about how do we actually attack this, this problem from a different perspective, which will probably end up meaning sacking a lot of the people that are not willing to progress and move on and take different viewpoints. So Ryan, something really bugs me. Okay. And I'm I'm gonna hopefully use this as a bit of a cathartic experience for Good. me. I well I've I've always considered myself part your podcast co host and part your therapist. So Absolutely. tell me about your mother, Colin. <laughs> it's not my mother. Oh okay, sorry. Uh, right. Tell me what you were but, gonna tell me. <laughs> It is when we get engaged to go into an organization and we do this uh, piece of research called an emotional signature that effectively looks at looks at the world from a different viewpoint. I'm not going to bore listeners with it, but it looks at the world from a different viewpoint. And the purpose is it actually looks at life from sort of a more subconscious psychological perspective. And therefore, by definition, you get different results. Okay. And my view, and I know I'm biased, much more powerful results. But the issue is, whenever we then present it, you always get at least one person who tries to bend the results to meet their agenda. Yeah. Yeah. To look at the results and either if they're completely opposite to what they believe, they try to say, well, the methodology is not very good or this is happening and that's happening. And therefore, what we're going to be talking about today, I believe, is a thing called confirmation bias. Yes. And it is one of the manifestations of it is exactly what you just described in your 
work meetings. That's spooky, isn't it? Yeah, I, it's almost as if you knew what we were going to talk about <laughs> and chose a story that would make a good lead into the topic. To be clear, that didn't happen. I mean, you and I walk into these things totally blind. Yeah. Yeah, I just put my, my, my hand in the hat, pull out a topic and go, oh, blimey, it's confirmation bias. Let's think about that. Who knew? So confirmation bias is a really deep-rooted bias in all of us. We all have this tendency, and it's, it's exactly what you describe. It's this tendency to have an opinion about something and then to either seek out information that confirms what you already believe and or to screen out or ignore information that is inconsistent with what you believe and or to bend information and interpret it in such a way that it is consistent with what you already believe. So basically, we form some belief, and then we, we just doggedly hold on to it. We don't want to let that thing go. Yeah. And, and this happens everywhere, doesn't it? The classic is in sports teams. If your sports team is playing in a game and you lose, then it wasn't that the team played badly. It was that the, the umpire or the referee was biased, and, or this happened, or it happened to be raining that day, or you know whatever else other excuse you're going to give. But it also obviously happens in politics as well, particularly, which is, you know, where which is where you get obviously, you know, one side looking at one channel and another another people of another persuasion looking at the the other channels. I'm not going to get into politics, obviously. Uh, oh, see, and you keep shying away from politics and I, I keep dragging <laughs> you back in there. You like tiptoe along the edge and I'm like, come on, Carl, let's jump in. But no, it's it's true. And and the reason I feel comfortable talking about politics in this is because it's it's not something that just one side or the other of an issue does this is just a human tendency and so in this era of increasingly more diverse media that we can get access to in terms of the number of you know cable channels and then websites and blogs that should objectively make us all better informed like we have now access whereas 30 years ago, we had the, you know, in the US, we had the three major TV networks. And then we had, you know, maybe it's more than 30 years ago and <laughs> go back further. But, uh, and then, you know, you had your, your daily newspaper for whatever city you lived in. And that was kind of the, the whole of your information universe. Now you've got access to everything. We should be much better informed. Instead, because of confirmation bias, what almost all of us do is we hunker down and seek out the information that's already consistent with what we believe. So from a political perspective, you know, we form these echo chambers where we mostly read information that agrees with us already. And so it just reinforces these beliefs and we get farther and farther apart. So I guess if you, if you were to take that sort of political analogy and you start thinking about the various different media outlets that there are, I guess what it does show is segmentation, doesn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So you know that a person listening to this channel is typically going to look like this, of this political persuasion, maybe even of this socioeconomic grouping or whatever it may be, or groupings, maybe it's not just one. And for me, that's part of the issue. When you look at confirmation bias from a business perspective, i.e. I'm in the business, actually what you want is you want to sort of downplay 
or control or restrict or recognize, maybe these are all good words, actually, your confirmation bias. Yeah. And I guess that's where when you start thinking about things like diversity, getting different opinions becomes a much stronger view of life. So if you're in business, you need to recognize that you have confirmation bias. And actually, that can be a weakness. I I guess it will also be a strength. But um, let's just focus on the weakness part at the moment. And it's a weakness because the danger is is you don't look at the world from a different viewpoint, etc. If you're looking at it from a customer viewpoint, in other words, you're saying, okay, well, our customers have confirmation bias, then you can start to use that to your advantage by going, okay, well, which customers believe these things? And and I'm not necessarily talking about politics or anything like that now, but, you know, which, let's go back to my favorite, which organizations believe that Apple is wonderful? Because those are our most loyal customers, yeah? And maybe we should be targeting some form of advertising to them or offering them something. And maybe the people that are switching from Samsung or whoever it may be to Apple, maybe we should be offering them something. And again, you know, that's that's all confirmation bias. I was keeping track. You covered at least six topics that we should dig more into. There. So <laughs> we'll, we'll call that run the abstract of this whole podcast because you hit, you hit all the important points there. Isn't it the good thing that we didn't know we were going to do this topic? I, I think you were confirming your own opinion. That that was a a good uh, speech. Confirmation bias is mostly bad news. It's mostly kind of an insidious bias. It it leads to bad decision making. But uh, I like your perspective that you know let's look at what some of the upsides of this bias are. Because I mean this is just kind of the reality of that we live in. Confirmation bias exists in all of us, and in our customers, and in our employees, and in our bosses. So can we? find some silver lining in it. And I think you identified one, some part of loyalty is going to be driven or reinforced by confirmation bias. So if you have a loyal customer, confirmation bias says that they should be especially attuned to information that reinforces their belief that this brand is great, right? So if if Colin, who's an Apple super fan, and I, who am mildly positive towards Apple, have kind of exactly the same experience or set of experiences with the brand, Colin may be especially attuned to the positive aspects of that because that would reinforce his belief that Apple is great. Whereas my, I might come out of that more neutral. And if you take a brand that people have very negative opinions of, you know, we, we poke fun at um, broadband providers a lot. Who does? You're not suggesting that I would poke fun at my broadband providers, would you? A, a nameless podcaster who shall not be named. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it gets to the point where Comcast could knock on my door and hand me $100 and I would still probably be angry about it, right? Because confirmation bias leads me in that direction. <laughs> it's the way that they knocked on that door. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it, in some form, this is confirmation bias yeah. again, right? So in terms of silver linings, confirmation bias and loyalty can be a good thing for you, for your business. Yeah, so I think the other thing for me is that as you were talking now, I was thinking about a podcast that we did a little while ago about sort of tribalism. And again, I've never been called an Apple super fan before. Again, your tattoos say otherwise, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. When you then think about that, I guess the question starts to become, A, how do you identify those people, okay? And B, how can you then use them? So I would have thought the people that help get involved in the community groups for any particular product or service, yeah? And and if you think of Apple community groups, we've got Arlo's systems, and I was on their community group the other day looking out for solving a problem, basically. Those are the super fans again. Those are the people that are going, well, actually, they're probably not going, I've got confirmation bias, but those are typically, I guess, the people that would be the ones that you could be using to help influence other people. Yeah. In terms of identifying people, identifying people who are loyal or who are enthusiastic, that's a good strategy. In terms of identifying people with confirmation bias, that's just everyone. So you're not going to be able to like target people who have strong confirmation bias. Like this is one of the stronger biases that I'm aware of. Like it just, we all have this all the time. So yeah, if you identify people who have strong opinions in on anything, then kind of baked into those strong opinions is probably going to be confirmation bias. It's just, it's very difficult for us as human beings to stop and reassess with a very clear-eyed perspective any opinion that we have that's that's very strong. I tend to like to dig in. So the interesting part here then is there's a couple of things I think are interesting. One is what you were just referring to. Whoops, I just dropped something. It sounded like you dropped some money there, Colin. I assume <laughs> that you have a tip jar for me on your desk. And every time I say something clever, you like drop a quarter in it. Am I, I do. Am I wrong? You know okay, what? You're, you're, that's the intention. And guess yeah. what? The jar's empty. <laughs> well, it, I, it sounded like you dropped something in there. So, you know, after two years, I, I think I may have just earned my first quarter. And yeah. I got to tell you, I'm very motivated now. All right, hold on. That's me taking it out. Oh, no. I thought I just heard some more. Uh, Go ahead. Please continue. So what you were talking about was the strength of a confirmation bias, which sort of starts to play into the fact that some of those emotions are more, or some of those not emotions, some of that confirmation must be more intense for different opinions, I presume. Yeah. I, I mean, in general, the stronger you hold an opinion, I mean, think about people. And, and again, I don't want to like light fires, but a lot of conspiracy theorists can hold on to their opinions in the face of overwhelming evidence against. I watched a documentary on flat earthers. So people who believe that the earth is not a globe, but it's in fact flat. And in the process of the, and, and these, some of these people were, were remarkably scientifically minded and smart. And they would design these experiments to prove that the assumptions of a a global Earth were wrong and that the Earth was flat. And in the course of this documentary, these experiments would just fail over and over again. Like the, the evidence kept coming up. No, in fact, the Earth is round like you were taught. And they kept on finding explanations for why those results couldn't be trusted, their own results. And I think that that's just what you were talking about. These are people who have very strong beliefs in something. And so they're, they're willing to 
turn away all kinds of very strong, compelling evidence, even evidence that they themselves generate in order to continue to hold on to these beliefs. You see, the interesting thing for me is that I always, in fact, let me tell you this story before I uh, tell you the interesting thing. I went to, I'm going to try to avoid mentioning the, the company name, but I was presenting to this group of senior CEO and the C-suite uh, once for, in fact, it was a retail client. And when I walked out of that, I had basically had a very hard meeting where they had challenged a lot of the thinking and everything else. And I don't have a problem with people challenging our thinking and methodologies, etc. But what they were all advocating in this retailer was, and this is again the C-suite, was effectively a continuation for what they'd been doing. And uh, without mentioning names, within the next five years, I don't think that retailer will be in existence anymore. It makes me think about, you know, the blockbusters of this world, the circuit cities of this world, all of those organizations where the senior team are sitting there uh, with confirmation bias and looking at the world from an old perspective. And I guess if you are coming into that organization and taking that organization over, you know, one of the first things you've really got to do is start thinking about how do we actually attack this this problem from a different perspective, which will probably end up meaning sacking a lot of the people that, that are not willing to progress and move on and take d- different viewpoints. Yeah. As you like to say when we discuss these topics, uh, everything in life is multiply determined. There are lots of different causes and reasons for things. We can talk about cultural inertia. We can talk about uh, loss aversion and risk aversion. and All these things play into it. But you're absolutely right. We talked about kind of maybe one of the silver linings of confirmation bias. But I don't want to give people the impression that it's like good and bad. It is mostly bad. And you've identified one of the major reasons why it's bad for us. It's very, very common to be inside a... Uh, an organization and to kind of drink the Kool-Aid. And that's confirmation bias, where it it doesn't matter how bad things are, people inside the company are convinced that their product is still the best and that they're still in, in a great position and that they are making great decisions. And we, as human beings, we systematically seek out evidence that that is the case. It's fun if you ever get the chance to talk to somebody who's working on a political campaign for somebody who has absolutely no shot at winning an election. And they, man, they, they've convinced themselves that it could happen. They will pick out the most obscure poll results that tilt even slightly in their direction. And they'll emphasize that and ignore all the poll results that suggest anything. Otherwise we can transition a little bit and talk about, you know, what can we do about it? You've already mentioned a few things. You know, one of the things is to deliberately seek out diverse sets of information but that's hard. I mean, on, on the political side, I will go through phases where I will deliberately read and listen to perspectives that I disagree with, that, you know, people who advocate different policies or have different opinions on. And I do that to try to be informed. But I, I also got to tell you, it is exhausting. It's really just, it's emotionally hard to read or listen to somebody who disagrees with you that it can be very threatening on kind of an existential level. Uh, It can be emotionally draining. You find yourself constantly arguing and counter-arguing with what you're reading. 
it's a solution. It's also really difficult. And so we need to kind of recognize this is not an easy thing to overcome. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and continuing on that uh, normal thing about what is it we should do, yeah. I think I've actually written down two things. One is you've really got to walk in other people's shoes. You've really got to try to see the world from a different viewpoint. And, and it's exactly what you were just saying and, you know, what you practically do in reading other, you know, uh, opposite opinions to to what you believe in. But you've really got to walk in other people's shoes and, and see what it's like from their perspective. And I think the other thing for me is you've really got to be open. I'm particularly talking here from a leadership perspective, but I guess it applies with everywhere. There's a phrase that I love that we use a lot in Beyond Philosophy, which is none of us are as clever as all of us. And therefore, I may have a view that says this is what we should do or this is how we should act or whatever it may be. But you know what? There's nothing more compelling than if you've got different views coming from different people and you've got that diversity in the organization where you can have different views. But then, as you rightly said earlier, it's about setting up the environment where that's okay and people can voice their views and uh, different opinions because again if the leader is too strong in particular one way then everybody knows which side their bread is buttered and will act accordingly that's uh, absolutely key as well the both of those are exactly spot on so the best situation is when you've got a diversity of opinions so people actually genuinely believe different things and kind of hash out they've, they've run experiments on this there's one study I remember reading where they got a group of people together to make some business decision. It was like, you know, a hypothetical business case about opening a port in one of two cities for this shipping company. And then they had a bunch of research reports that they could choose to read. And they had people read the initial kind of synopsis of the case and rate which way they were leaning. Right. So based on just some initial information, do you think port A or port B is the better choice? And then they had the opportunity to get together in a group and get more information. And they deliberately created these groups so that um, some groups were consistent. So, so everybody in this group all thought that we're leaning towards port A or another group all were leaning towards B. And some were deliberately created so that they had conflicting opinions. And confirmation bias just went crazy when you had a group that all agreed. So there were reports that were providing evidence that port A was a good idea, other reports that were saying port B was a good idea, other reports that were kind of both. And the people would systematically just seek out the information that was consistent with their initial viewpoint. It was only in those cases where there was conflicting opinions that you actually got all the information you needed to make a good decision. So that points to both of these issues. You need a diversity of opinion, and you also need a, a culture that allows for that disagreement. You know, you're absolutely right where you can, you know, we've all been in those meetings where there's a lot of disagreement, like the boss is so overbearing that nobody has the courage to say it. Or if they voice that opinion, it's immediately slapped down. And in, in those cases, it, it doesn't do any good to have a different opinion because there's only one way that things are going to happen. The other thing that this study found is if you have people who all agree with each other, 
but you specifically assign somebody in the group before the meeting starts to play the devil's advocate. So look, we all think that Port A is probably the right decision, but but you, John, you argue in favor of Port B. So whatever your personal beliefs are, we need somebody with that voice in the room. It wasn't as effective as having somebody who genuinely believed that Port B was better, but it was pretty good. It really reduced that bias a lot. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, that, that also forces that person to put the other side, doesn't it? So it's a bit like debating and stuff like that. I used to be in Round Table, which is a bit like a Rotary Club, and we used to do debates more for amusement than anything else. But you were given the, this topic and you were told that you have to support this topic or be against this topic. It didn't actually mean that you actually believed in either way, different perspective of the topic. But when you were forced to look into it, you start to go, Mm, yeah that is a good point actually so anyway good okay well thanks very much everybody for listening today um if you found this of use then please let somebody else know that would be really useful and if you have confirmation bias that says that this isn't any good then it's been nice knowing you (laughs) (laughs) so genuinely if you've know somebody that you think would benefit then please just tell them about it it's always great we're continuing to see our numbers go up each month which is which is really gratifying and thanks very much and we will look forward to um talking to you next week cheers this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>